in the house. It's always cool when Bill's here. Is this thing working? Just my boy. Ah, here we are. If you need a copy of God's Word, slip your hand up and Chad or Jim will be glad to give that to you. Take your Bibles, devices, whatever you're using, and turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Let me get organized and we will get started. A couple of things I want to mention to you. This Saturday is what? We should say that with an exciting tone in your voice. Not, oh my God, we've got a help day again. Help day this Saturday at the Bartlett campus, primarily from 10 to noon, and we really need help down in the gym, but if you want to get there early and help set up about 8 o'clock, we'll be doing that. If you want to come hang out in the clothes closet with me and others, uh, that usually goes to about 1 o'clock, but particularly from 10 to noon or upstairs to about 1 uh, food and or clothes. We need as many bodies as possible to hand out the food, uh, uh, take the baskets to the parking lot, do boxes, a lot of stuff going on. So if you can help Saturday, the 18th, it'll be the day after my birthday. I'll be another year older. I'll be, I think, 39, 40, something like that. And um, so the Saturday, the Bartlett campus, if you can be there, I'd really appreciate it. Um, this week, our Wednesday night program starts back this Wednesday, the 15th. So, uh, we we'll start eating about, uh, 6.30. If you want to come and eat with us, that'd be great. And then we're going to have stuff going on starting at, uh, 7.30. Did I get that right? Yeah, 7.30. I'll be okay. Um, if you want to come to the Bible study, but you don't want to come eat, you're uh, free to come. We're still studying Romans. You do not have to have a book to come to my particular Bible study. We've also got a small group. We've got stuff going on uh, over here. uh, We've got stuff in the building for for the kids. So across the street with the students. So Wednesday night starts this week. Nobody told me it was pajama day till all the student ministry folks got to come in and dress like I dress at home. And I'm thinking... I didn't know we could wear our pajamas today. Nobody told me that. I'll have to speak to Rhett about that. I'm sure it's his fault, right, Mike? Okay, now I figured it was Rhett's fault. And the last thing I want to mention to you is next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating Sanctity for Life Sunday, one of our missionaries' life choices. And we've got, still got some bottles in the lobby. You can see them over there by my palatial office near the door. If you'd like to take one of those bottles and just fill it up with coins, and uh, this is the last week we're going to be doing that, and you can bring it back between now and next Sunday, and we'll make sure the Life Choices people get that. Uh, Wendy Quinn or someone will get it to them. If we happen to run out of bottles, there's not a whole lot left, but if you want to, if there's not a bottle there, you want to fill up a sack with coins, or you want to fill up a paper cup, or whatever you want to fill it up, when you bring me the coins, I'll make sure they get to Life Choices. So this is the last week we're going to be, we do that every year around the holidays, so we'd like to do it this week, and then next week we're going to Celebrate the importance and the sanctity of life as believers. All right, I want to have a word of prayer and then kind of share my heart with you a little bit, and then we're going to get into Psalm 115. So let's pray. 
Father, we're grateful that you're God. We're grateful that we have a God who is real, who is there, who is our Father. As believers, we just thank you, not just for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life in him, but your very presence in the moments when we need you the most, and we've sung a lot about that even this morning and worshiping you through song and, and just in our hearts to realize when everything around us we don't understand, you do. That when we are in difficult circumstances and we can't figure out why or how to proceed, you're there in the middle of it with us. We're grateful we thank you, God, for who you are and pray you'd bless our time meditating on a little bit Psalm 115 this morning together as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already turned to Psalm 115, we began to look at this last week and the idea of where's your God and looking forward to, we're going to begin a sermon series in the next week or so on who's your daddy. We're going to talk about the attributes of our God. The fact that there's so many different things that sometimes I think we, we forget. And I think it's important for us to pause and meditate and reflect on who is the God that we worship, who is our Heavenly Father, who is our Savior, who is the Lord Jesus. What does all this mean to us? Is it just our option, our choice, or is he exactly who he said he was? I am, and there is no other. And so we thank God just for being our Father. On a personal note for, from, from uh, Mary and I, because uh, we may not get around to thanking everyone, we are so grateful for your prayers this week, so grateful for so, so many kind thoughts and texts and cards and emails and so many different things that have come our way this week, uh, particularly for me, Thursday morning as a, a part of uh, Mary's brother Jim's funeral, and Jim was not just my brother-in-law, one of my dearest friends. And I had asked a number of you, I asked you guys to pray for me. And I got so many responses and folks, even on Thursday morning as we're driving to the church saying, praying for you this morning, praying for you. And, and so thank you. Uh, God, I believe, uh, used the time we all had together and all that happened. And that Jim was honored. And I believe the Lord was glorified uh, if nothing else, if you could have been there and seen the end of it, when all his son came back up, Jim's son came up and had all his former players, anybody in the arena, in the church that had ever coached with Jim or played for him, Steve, Steve, his son said, come on up on the stage. It was massive. It was a huge church and massive stage. He said, come on up on the stage. And for the next 20 minutes, there were guys walking to approach that stage, and they couldn't even all get on the thing. They were down in front, they were down up the aisles, and then they all sang. Jim used to have them sing after games at ECS, sing Victory in Jesus. And uh, Beth videoed it, and Mary's got it on her phone, and all these men a cappella singing Victory in Jesus. It's, uh, it's very moving, uh, and it reminds you, again, very graphically, of why what we do as Christians is important. Significant and who our God is matters. Is there a reason we turned my light down? Is it not working still? Ah, oh, there we go. Huh? Oh, I like it. Yeah, I, I realize we've got a problem with our light board, so you're going to have to focus. Or I could. 
what I need is a jacket that I can take off and, and twirl and throw it. When Beth, Beth had a birthday yesterday, I won't tell you how old she is, but it's significant. <laughs> My baby girl. I remember the day she was born. I remember vividly as I slept in the father's waiting room at Baptist East Hospital as she was being born. And at her wedding, you have to have ring bearers and you have flowers. You know, and so the ring bearer at her wedding, and I saw him just... He now works for my cardiologist. It's just God has a sense of humor. So this boy was a ring bearer, at, and we're, up, we're down here, you know, hundreds of people, and we're getting ready to do the wedding, and he decides that he's John Travolta from Saturday Night Live and taking that jacket off and dancing in front of everyone. And finally I said, would someone like to come get Kyle so we can continue the wedding? All right, turn to Psalm 115 and ignore the lights behind me, and we will try to focus again on who our God is and where is he? Francis Schaeffer wrote a great book called The God Who Is There. I still have a copy of that book and I go back and read it. It was written in the 60s. Francis Schaeffer was an incredible Christian intellect along the lines of a C.S. Lewis type thing. Just wrote some brilliant stuff and I started reading it in college and could not understand it and so I'm reading it now and I still don't understand it. Francis Schaeffer and just a brilliant mind but he wrote an incredible book called The God Who Is There talking about the evidence for God, the evidence for Christ, the resurrection, a lot of different things, apologetic type stuff. And I think it's so important, and I, and I do this a lot in my own personal devotional life, is go back to the Psalms and remember that this is what the children of Israel would use to worship with. They, they would, the particular Psalm we're looking at, Psalm 115, was part of what's called the Hallel that they would sing during Passover. They would come together to celebrate the exodus from Egypt. We talked about this last week. And God setting them free from bondage in Egypt. And they would sing these psalms. Psalm 114, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And they would sing them during that Passover time. Celebrating the exodus. Celebrating the great feast. And celebrating the coming resurrection. It's a beautiful picture. of how it all ties together in the person of Jesus Christ. So what we looked at last week. If you'll take your hand out. We looked at last week. Number one. And, and we're into number two. That. The idea in the context of this psalm, we're not going to go back and read all the verses, but the context of the psalm is the, the pagans around the Israelites were mocking them as they'd come back from the Babylonian captivity and God was no longer parting the Red Sea and getting, letting them walk across on dry land. And those incredible miracles that he had done before Pharaoh of Egypt to say to him, I am, there is no other. And now all of that wasn't happening, and they had gone away to Babylon, and they come back now, and there's no temple any longer. It's been destroyed by the Babylonians. There's no Jerusalem anymore. It's been leveled by the Babylonians. Their land has been scorched. There's nothing. And now they've come back under Persia, the new world ruler. Cyrus has set them free, and they come back. What's interesting in many, many ways, there are a lot of things that are interesting about it. One of the most interesting parts is a picture that when they were taken out of Judah, Jerusalem, that area, in 605 B.C. it began under Nebuchadnezzar, and they were carried away to Babylon, there were like millions of them. When they came back 70 years later, it was 50,000 that came back. The rest chose to stay in the pagan land. And the remnant came back to, as we said, scorched earth, no city, no temple, going to start over. I mentioned last week, read Ezra and Nehemiah, and you can see the story of them coming back into the land and trying to rebuild the temple, trying to rebuild Jerusalem, and start over and to worship the one true God. And it's a magnificent picture of the church. 
is that God has always had a remnant, and he always will. Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 7 said the following, The road to destruction is broad that way, and many are found therein. The road to life is narrow, and few are found there. The church is always going to be, from a numerical perspective, small. And so it's vital for us to understand how important it is that God has called us, reached out, redeemed us, and then sent us into the world to say what? Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's what the Jews were supposed to do, is say Messiah is coming for all, but they forgot themselves. They lost God's word. And so now as you get to Psalm 115, and it's, they're celebrating again and coming back, that remnant, who our God is. Because the pagans all around them are saying, look, the land is gone, the temple is gone, there's nobody working any miracles anymore. Where is your God? Look at Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, verse 1, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles or the nations say, where is their God? So we began to look at this last week. The first couple of points, God, the psalmist was saying, God is alone, this is on your handout, in his glory. There is no other because of his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness, because of his truth. Secondly, which is where we are today, he's not only alone in glory, there is only one I am. I am the Lord your God, there is no other. He is absolute God over everything. Last week we talked about the first bullet point there. He's absolute God over the universe, all that man knows. And we're trying to find out and we're seeking and looking and trying to learn what is our universe all about? Who are we? Everything that's out there, what does it mean? And the message of scripture and the message of understanding the God who is there is that he's absolute sovereign over all of that. He spoke it into existence. He is the great, eternal, self-existent one. So he's not only God over the universe, and here's where we're going to begin today in verse 4, but he's also God over all of man's idols. All that we as human beings, and man's always done this, from Adam and Eve forward to our day, man has always done this, created idols. And an idol very simply defined is, what is my God? What's most important to me? For most people on the planet, what is their God? All they got to do is look in the mirror and they're looking at it. Because by definition, if anything is more important to you than the great I am, the one self-existent God who created the universe, who came, became a human and died in your place, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, who is our Lord God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, if that God is not God in your life, then anything else that is, is an idol. It could be yourself. For most people, that's what it is. It could, it could be another person. It could be a particular position in the community or your company or whatever you, you do, society-wise. 
It could just simply be money itself. There's a reason Jesus Christ spoke on that subject more than any other by far. Because if there's any temptation we have, even as devout believers, if there's anything in your life that's going to be a struggle for you to become your idol, it is money. It's so hard to let it be God's. But by the way, where it came from. And to say, Lord, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? So the second, the bullet point we're looking at, we're going to start looking at today, is that God is God. Where is he? He's absolute over all that might be our idols. So here's the picture and the point that he's making contextually. Look at verse 4. Their idols, the idols of the nations, the pagans, who do not worship the one true God. Their idols are silver and gold. Particularly notice the last phrase in verse 4. Their idols are the work of men's hands. Let me give you a contextual picture, and then we're going to walk through this a little bit. Here's the point. Our God, in context, our God, you're asking us, where is he? He rules the universe and all that's in it. And so what he's saying is man has taken what God has given to him in creation. And he turns that into things that he, man, might worship from the creator who gave it to him, the owner. Romans chapter 1, the Bible says the following. Men are understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse. God has revealed himself. Because although man knew God, they did not glorify God as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I love that word in Greek. The word in Greek, when it says they became fools, is we get our, it's spelled M-O-R-O-N. In Greek, transliteration, English, moron. If you're from the south, that's the way you pronounce it. It's moron. When I was a boy growing up, and I get, I don't even know what a moron is, other than a fool according to scripture, but we had little moron jokes. So some of you may be old enough to remember little moron jokes, like why do they tiptoe past the medicine cabinet? They don't want to wake up to sleeping pills. They were very deep jokes. All right. Why did they throw the clock out the window and then we'll move on? Why did a little moron throw the clock out the window? He wanted to see time fly. All right, here we go. All right. I didn't say they were good jokes, I just said they were jokes. They became foolish or moronic. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God, his creation, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, idols. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, for the lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That last verse really sums it up. They exchanged the truth of God that he revealed himself as creator. They exchanged that truth and rather than worshiping the creator, they exchanged it for the lie. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created this amazing universe, and this paradise, and he placed Adam and Eve in paradise and said, just that one fruit, don't eat that. Love me, trust me, obey me, don't eat that one fruit. And Satan comes along and is able to convince them, and they 
accepted the lie, and here was the lie. I can eat that fruit, and I'll be God. And man's done it ever since. Rather than trusting the God who is revealed in the universe and in our conscience and in the person of Jesus Christ, we've decided we know better than he how to do life. And so what we do is we use God if we need him, but by and large, we're God. It's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans. So it's exactly what's going on here in Psalm 115. For the next section... Now, the psalmist is going to give us a contrast. It's going to continue about their God versus our God. Our God is alone in glory. Our God is absolute. Let's look at their God, starting in verse 4. Their gods are idols. They're made of silver and gold. What's the most valuable thing since man has been on the planet? If you're going to list the most valuable things from a monetary point of view in the eyes of man, what would be two at the top of the list? Silver and gold, even to this day. Silver and gold, silver and gold. How much money does it take to make a rich man happy? Just just a little bit more. Silver and gold. Their idols are silver and gold. Incredibly valuable. That's what they want to worship. Yet, they're still dead, inert, and can't do anything even though they're made of the most valuable thing a man can think of to make them out of, they're just there. We'll see more as we walk through. The very best God they could create, silver and gold, is absolutely powerless to do anything. It's the work of men's hands. The prophet Hosea, in chapter 8, said this, a craftsman made it. So it is not God. By definition, we mentioned this last week, but it's important to hear as we move forward. By definition, if I, if Darren and I get together and we decide we're going to create an idol, it's going to look like Darren. Okay, half Darren, half me. We're, we're getting worse. So as Darren and I are building our idol, we finish it up and we make it out of silver and gold and it really looks good. We finish it. We step back. We look at it and we say what? Wow. Look at what we made. By definition, who's God in that relationship? This thing we've made or us? We are. Because we made it. And now we've made it and we're going to attribute deity to it and worship it. That's exactly what's being talked about here. It's what man has always done. Is that God has said, I am. I will give you mercy. I will show you loving kindness, grace, truth. I will reveal myself to you. What we've said is, thank you, we'll decide who God is. We've always done it. The human race has. We're still doing it. We will continue to do it. That's why it's so amazing when you understand grace. But C.S. Lewis, and I think I mentioned it last week, said to that group of theologians, they were discussing Christianity and said, what makes Christianity unique compared to all the other world's religions? C.S. Lewis walked in the room and asked him, what are you talking about? And someone said, we're trying to discuss, figure out what makes Christianity unique. And what did he say? He said one word, just kept walking. 
Grace. Grace. Because every other religion is based on what we do. Think about mythology. Go back and read some of it. Roman, Greek, Babylonian, Egyptian, pick your mythology. Go back and read them. Every one of them, man makes an idol, man attributes some deity to this particular idol as the god of war, the god of the harvest, whatever they needed, the god of the sun, god of the moon, god of the Nile River, on and on. You create a god, you attribute deity to it, and then you try to offer something to assuade that god or buy that god's favor by what you do. Many horrific examples. In the Bible, they had the god Molech, the pagans did. If you're a human being and you have a conscience, which all do when they're made, and you have an infant child born into your family, it becomes incredibly precious to you. And so what did they offer Molech? Their firstborn infant. They would burn it on the altar of Molech, thinking... That's the most valuable thing we can give to him is our baby. And what did Molech do? Nothing, because he didn't exist. Except where? In their pagan, deranged minds. If I make a God, I can't attribute deity to it. I made it. I'm God. Acts chapter 17 Paul is at Mars Hill debating with the great philosophers. And he says this, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor does he worship with men, with men's hands, as though he needed anything. He gives life to all, breath and all things. That's who our God is. We have great edifices that have been built historically. We were In my 930 class, we were talking about Solomon's temple. They're getting ready to build. In, in, David's about to die, and Solomon's going to build this incredible edifice to God. And then as they began to worship the edifice and everything around it, you know what God did in 605 B.C.? He sent Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon to destroy it. Because they did what? They lost their focus. They began to worship the rituals, the priesthood, the sacrifices, and the building, and not the God they were meant to worship. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We happen to be sitting in a building that used to be a nasty, stinky grocery store. If you don't think so, I can share a story from 13 years ago when we began to tear it apart, what we found. It's simply a building, a tool, and God has allowed us to use it for 13 years. But it's, that's not where the church is. Next week, we'll meet on the parking lot. That's where the church is, where we are. So let's look at the contrast as it gets specific. Verse 5. You ask us, where is our God? You have your own gods. And as he, as he begins to walk through this contrast, you've made your gods. Let's look at them. Verse 5. They have mouths, but they do not speak. 
They cannot speak. So there's no communication with your God. You worship him. There's no response. He can't promise you anything. He can't console you when you're hurting. He cannot offer you hope. He cannot give you truth. He cannot comfort you. He cannot instruct you. And he can't give you explanations about right and wrong. They got mouths because you create them and you make them to look like you. So Darren and I, we make our God, we give him a nice pretty mouth. What's coming out of that mouth? Nothing. They got a nice mouth, but it can't speak. They can't wrap your arms around you and let you know how much you're loved. They can't whisper in your spirit, I love you. I'm here for you. I know what you're going through, and I'm going to carry you through it. I'm going to be waiting for you on the other side. I'm working good in the middle. Your, your God can't do any of that. Our God does all of those things. He offers hope. He, instructs, he gives us truth. He instructs us in righteousness. He gives us promises, and then he fulfills his promises. Does he do it the way we expect him to? No, because he's God, not us. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Verse 5, they eyes they have, but they do not see. Your gods are blind. Yes, you create them and you put nice pretty eyes on them, but they can't see anything. So they can't look at your circumstances and help you. They can't see anything. You, try, you offer worship to them. They don't see that. They don't see your offerings that you bring. They don't see how you're hurting and what you need. They don't see the dangers and the threats that await you on the horizon as you go out tomorrow. They don't see that because they don't exist. Our God, however, sees them, protects us, carries through. It's always there. When we come to him, he sees it. It thrills him. And he sees genuine worship. He not only sees outwardly what we might bring as an act of worship, he sees the heart and he knows it intimately. And he knows whether that act of worship is genuine or fake. He knows because he can see. I love when the Bible talks about Scripture, talks about itself. And Paul wrote to Timothy and said, or excuse me, the book of Hebrews talks about the word of God being alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, and could do what? It could divide a soul from a spirit. You ever meditating on stuff like that? Maybe I'm just weird. How do you divide a soul from a spirit? How do you find a soul and a spirit? We know what's in there, right? How are you going to divide it up? God can. He created it. He put it in you. Think about it. Just in our, our midst right here today. Every one of you is individualistic, different in so many ways. Yet every one of you is created in the image of God. But different looks, even in the same family, you have some traits that maybe siblings look Somewhat alike. But unless you've got an identical twin sitting in the room, everybody in the room is unique physically, 
mentally, emotionally, capacity-wise, intellect, where you are, where you're headed. And yet God put within each one of us his image, a capacity to love, to know him, to love others, to care, different, and in different ways. Like Darren and I, we make our God. Well, Darren wants to make it where he can play the guitar. Why? Because Darren plays the guitar and plays it really well. I don't play the guitar. So what do I want to give it? I want to give it the capacity to tell jokes. <laughs> Even though some of them are stupid. They're still jokes. Because that's all I got. I want to give it the capacity just to yell. Because I got a loud mouth. He said, no, it needs to play the guitar. People will like that. They probably will. He has talents I don't have. I have talents he doesn't have. Yet God knows what? Every detail of him, every detail of me, and he loves us both anyway. Because he's God. Mercy, truth, uniqueness. That's who our dad is. They got eyes. They can't see anything. This really gets cool as we go further. Verse 6, they got ears, but they can't hear. Kind of like a husband. <laughs> got ears, but they don't hear. You know what the number one, and Peter Simons taught me this years ago, and I'll never forget. He taught me, and he meant it to be cruel. I know he did. Yeah, he did, not He said, Randy, you don't listen very well. And I thought about it for a minute, and I said, you know what? He's right. I'm not a good listener. I'm trying to, because like so many men, I don't know if ladies are like this or not, because I ain't one. But I know a lot of men that are this way, particularly I know a lot of husbands that are this way, and Mary would tell you the same thing. The other day, not the other day, this has become a, a running joke with us. She goes, you need to have your hearing checked. Now, it's not my hearing that needs to be checked. You know what it is? My focus on what Mary's talking about needs to be healed. I can hear real well. I just sometimes don't tune in when I should. And I learned that. I need to understand. When someone's talking to you, it's important that you listen to what they have to say, even if it's stupid. <laughs> to them, it may not be stupid. To them, it might be real important. Probably is. And so you need to focus. Because here's what I do, and I know a lot of men that are guilty of this. I've already figured out what your problem is. <laughs> right? And as soon as you shut up, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Right? If you've ever been guilty of that, let's be honest with you. Let's pray God we'll be honest here for a minute. Men only, men only. If you've ever been guilty of that, raise your hand. Yeah, some of you are lying, but that... And if some of you didn't raise your hand high enough, we're going to have a personal testimony time at the altar. Yeah, my wife told me, and I, that's dumb. I'm going, to, I'm going to solve that problem. Just don't tell her. You ever done that? Yeah. Here are their idols. They got ears, but they can't hear a word you're saying. Your, 
You're bowing down before them. You're praying. You're begging for help. You're bringing your babies and burning them at the altar. You're doing all these things. They can't see it. They can't hear it. They don't exist. Think about the, how, how horrible that would be to sacrifice your infant child to something you had built because you think that thing is going to help you. They can't hear your prayers. They can't hear your cries for help. They can't hear you pleading on behalf of someone you love. Sometimes you're hurting, you're going through something, you're begging. These idols, they can't hear. They can't hear your sobbing. They can't hear your weeping. They can't hear your agony in your soul. But our God can. I think about this at every funeral I do, and obviously doing Jim's funeral Thursday. I thought about all those people there. How do you have anything to say to them without hope? But in Jesus Christ, you've heard me say this many times. What's my favorite word in the Bible to describe Christianity? It's the word hope. Confident expectation is what it means in the original language. I know that Jim Hines went to be with his Savior, Jesus. I know when I die, I'm going to go be with my Savior, Jesus. Confidence. That's why I love to officiate at funerals because I, can, I know everybody in the room is thinking about death in one way or the other, their own or someone else's. And you can say to them, you don't have to leave here without hope because Jesus offers you all hope. He is the great I am. Where is our God? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's also past, present, future. He's outside time. So many of his attributes we're going to look at. It's incredible when you understand who our God is. I love verse 6 again. Next one. They have noses. Some of us have more than others. They have noses, but they can't smell. Now, why would he put this in here? Think about it. Particularly going back in history. Even now, you'll see it in a lot of temples and a lot of cathedrals and in a lot of churches. What's the one thing they're constantly doing? Burning incense. Burning incense. Burning incense. Why? Because in that culture, and even in the picture for the Hebrews, that as you burned incense, it was the idea of offering something sweet-smelling aroma to your God, whatever your sacrifice might be. You put something, it was called a libation. You would pour something over it to make it smell good, like we do with candles in your house, to make a room smell better, or a closet where Randy might have his clothes. You put a candle in there so it smells a little better. Sweet-smelling savor unto their God. And he's saying, you know, all that incense you're burning under your God, he can't even smell it, even though you gave him a nose. Verse 7, they have hands, but they can't handle. They can't handle anything. Yeah, they got hands. Go put something in their hand. What's going to happen to it? It's going to fall out? They, don't, they can't, and the idea of a hand, in this particular culturally again, the idea of a hand, particularly the right hand, was that of power. The ability to exert power to get something done. Where did Jesus ascend? To what? The right hand of the Father. The, the seat of majesty, power, and authority in the universe. He's saying, your gods may have hands that you built, but they can't exert any power on your behalf. 
Your gods may have hands. They can't receive your sacrifices. Their hands don't do anything. That you can't, their hands can't distribute blessings to others because their hands can't do anything. Their hands can't touch you and offer healing because their hands aren't able to do that. I was reading a, a, a sermon on this passage from a guy, a pastor named Stephen Cole, and he talked about going, he was in a, uh, uh, India, or I'm sorry, Nepal, and he went to a Hindu temple in Nepal. And all, all the offerings that had been set before the idols in the Hindu temple, everybody had brought their idols to the temple, uh, their uh, sacrifices to the uh, idols in the temple, and then they had left. And he said, so we just went in, we were walking around, and at every place there were monkeys sitting there eating the stuff that had been brought to the idols. Monkeys. What's the message? The idol doesn't exist except in my mind. You can offer it whatever you want to. You can cut yourself. You can give it money. You can do whatever you want to do. But it's not going to respond because it does not exist. Verse 7 again. They have feet, but they can't walk. I love this one. So important. You, Darren and I built our great idol. It's got eyes. It's got ears. It's got a nose. It's got hands. It's got feet. But it can't walk. Think about it. We put our idol here. We're going to call it the Durando idol. That's Darren and Randy put together. Durando idol. Y'all need to pay attention. Put it right here. So let's decide. We look at it for a little while, and our wives come in and say, that, you know, Durando doesn't look good there. You need to move him. How come Durando don't get up and walk over here? So if he's going to go, if Durando is going to go from here over to there, how's he going to get there? We're going to have to pick him up and move him. The only way he's going anywhere is if we get John and somebody who's strong enough that can pick him up to move him. Because we made him a silver and gold, he's pretty heavy. We have to hire somebody or we got to get a machine or something to move him. These idols these people made, they had to be helped into place so they could be worshipped. They had to be carried if they were going to go somewhere else to another altar, another place to worship. They had to be carried there. They couldn't run to rescue anybody. They couldn't do anything. And then once they put them where they were going to worship them, worship them, they had to secure them in place because the weather might do something to them. Because they don't exist except in their mind. Now verse 7, kind of a summary statement. Says they cannot even mutter through their throat. And the idea here is they can't even articulate a grunt or a groan. Absolutely no possible communication at all. They are totally lifeless, totally useless. And here's the picture I want you to see in what the psalmist had just done. He went from head. To toe with their idols. And the final summary is what? There's nothing there. Nothing there. We'll share a brief story with you, and then next week we're going to look at point three that our God is not only alone in glory, but absolute, but He is all we need. In Alexandria, Egypt, there's a famous building called the Serapion. It's a temple of Serapis. 
Serapis was the god over the inundations of the Nile River and fertility gods of Egypt. This is a huge structure of masonry. It's on a hill in the center of the city in Alexandria. It had outstretched hands on both sides of the building. The head reached to the roof. This thing was massive. Colossal statue of this god. And it was adorned with metals, jewels, very expensive. So the emperor Theodius decides to demolish this heathen temple. Theophilus, who was a bishop, Christian bishop, would descend the steps and enter in so he could do this. And the image was huge. Even the bishop paused for a moment. It was so massive. So the bishop orders one of the soldiers to start striking the statue of the god Serapius. So he takes a hatchet and he begins to hit it on the knee. As he hit him on the knee, they were waiting for the god to cry out in some emotion and nothing happened. Nothing. So they climbed to the head. They cut the head off. It rolled to the ground. And as it rolled to the ground, a large family of rats came out, poured from the statue, and raced around the temple. So the people began to laugh and to destroy the statue with zeal. They dragged the fragments through the streets. Even the pagans were disgusted with their own god because they didn't exist. So they were worried that the Nile River would be some consequence because they had done this. And when none occurred, they realized Serapis didn't exist. They just exist in the minds of people. Where is our God? He is God. He can hear. He can feel. He can do something. And he's always working good on our behalf. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we stop again and thank you for being God, for existing, for being, as you told Moses, the I am, the only God. You told the children of Israel, I will not allow other gods ahead of me because I am, they are not. So we thank you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same God who was in the Garden of Eden. You're right here in our midst today. The one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, you're in our midst today. The one who was with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you're in our midst today. The one who was there hanging on that cross, you're in our midst today. We thank you, Lord, that you are not just the God of the universe. You're our Father through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you loved us. You showed us grace when we didn't deserve it. We didn't care. We're grateful. We thank you for Jesus Christ and just pray as we meditate on a psalm, we'd be so excited about who our God is. Where is he? He's everywhere. Who is he? He's everything we need. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.